Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, November 19th, 2010. You're thinking, he sounds kind of peppy. I wonder if he's the cat who swallowed the canary. (laughs) Sorry. I should save my evil maniacal laughter for another time. No, I haven't swallowed a canary. I'm just excited about where things are going at the moment. Details to follow shortly. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. That's kind of the key word today. Today's program is about discernment. In fact, it's brought to you by the word discernment. Yes, that's what we do here at Fighting for the Faith. We're all about comparing what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. And uh, in case you haven't uh, really been following the brouhaha, there has been a brouhaha, uh, the brouhaha was caused over the fact that I, well, you know, it began by me uh, spending an afternoon with Dan Kimball, posting photographs of Dan Kimball, and daring to say something like this. Dan Kimball is my friend and my brother in Christ, Bruhaha begins. That's when it, that's when it, and, it, and technically I don't think it's exactly over, but, um, very interesting, uh, very interesting incident. It was, a, uh, quite a learning curve, uh, for me to, uh, watch how this whole thing went down and, uh, and, you know, and me getting caught in the middle of it. And people were like vomiting on me. This, this hor- <laughs> horrible, hateful stuff and i'm thinking what on earth is going on here and uh, and so it was uh, it was a very interesting incident and uh, now that i'm on the other side of this and can kind of see what happened i want to talk about this i want to debrief the 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 dan kimball brouhaha and uh, and deal with uh, deal with the subject of the need for discernment in the discernment camp, and uh, and uh, that and, and that means everybody, all of you, because you know, as the body of Christ, we're called to be discerning. But uh, there's some who write, and and you know, they have radio programs and 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 blogs and and things like that, and they and they do more, uh, you know, they they focus their ministry efforts more on discernment. And so, I want to talk about first of all the need for discernment, uh, because discernment ministries play a very important function in the body of Christ, especially nowadays, because everything is topsy-turvy, upside down, black is white, white is black, cats and dogs are sleeping together. This is some bad stuff that's going on here. 
And the ad hoc uh, discernment ministries that have popped up actually serve a very important purpose in the body of Christ, and we need to recognize that. And uh, and then we need to kind of look at what happened, what went right, what went wrong in this whole Dan Kimball brouhaha, and, uh, and uh, how I'm planning to address some of the shortcomings that really became clear as a result of this incident. And, uh, and then I want to read a couple of articles for you, uh, one by a... Uh, a contributor over to Prizing and a listener to Fighting for the Faith. His name is Daniel Needs. He's written a fantastic article on discernment that I plan to share with you. And then what I also plan to do, and I may not be doing it in this order, is read to you a piece that Dan Kimball wrote on his blog regarding the need for discernment ministries to, well, discern each other. And so, and, and then, uh, and then to kind of cap off this first section, this first hour of fighting for the faith, um, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to give you an example of what I would consider to be, you know, an example of uh, what do we do in a situation where we don't have all the data and you're you can't quite figure out black and white, up and down, left and right, and things just don't seem right, but you don't have all the data. How do you handle a situation like that as an example of a discernment uh, tough nut? And uh, and then in hour number two today, we have a sermon review from Carrie Shook down there in Fellowship of the Woodlands. Why? Because I just enjoy having my testosterone sucked out of my body through my ears uh, while listening to a Carrie Shook sermon. Especially on Friday, <laughs> yeah, because I, I no see. There's a strategic reason why I'm uh, I've picked Carrie Shook as a sermon review for today, and uh, that is is that the uh, high school that my uh, my youngest daughter attends, their football team is in the Indiana State semifinals, and so. Uh, in fact, in case you haven't figured it out yet, you, you uh, those of you listening currently right now live to the uh, the Pirate Christian Radio stream on Friday, November nineteenth at six ish something Eastern, three ish something Pacific. Um, you're listening to a pre-recorded program. I recorded this ahead of time so that I can uh, go outside and freeze my keister off while watching my daughter's high school football team play in the state semi-finals. Now, something I've noticed about um, football in the Midwest, um, I'm beginning to think it's a competing religion, uh, even high school football. I mean, this is, um, it, it's a big deal out here. And I don't ever remember it quite being this big of a deal when I was in Southern California. Maybe I'm wrong, but when I was in Southern California, it just didn't didn't feel like, uh, high school football was a competing religion out here. Um, you could be, um, well, roughed up if you were caught wearing the wrong colors on the wrong side of the field at a high school football game. Just, you know, I'm just saying, this is something I've noticed. And so uh, I've attended a few of these, and <laughs> the thing I can just hardly wait for is the fact that the um, at the football game the temperatures will be somewhere in the mid 30s? Yay me! I'm so looking forward to freezing my face off. Anyway, so but uh, so that's what's going to happen. Now the thing I'm worried about is is that you know when I get out into cold weather like that and I try to warm myself up, 
inevitably I end up fogging my bifocals up. And so I, I'm hoping that I don't end up fogging up my bifocals. That would really be a mess. <sighs> That's right. I'm so old. I get to wear bifocals. All right. So let's let's dive into the uh, program proper. And uh, what I'm going to do right now is I, earlier today I spent some time writing uh, something about uh, really the need for discernment ministries. And um, and so, uh, you know, it, it's strange times that we live in. And so I want to begin this this call for discernment in the discernment ministries to begin with an apologetic uh, and, and a review as to why we need discernment ministries, especially the on tie, uh, online variety. We, they actually are serving a very important uh, function in the body of Christ. So <clears throat> Let me see here. Let me crack my knuckles. Uh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, maybe there's too much fat in those things. Anyway, um, <sighs> yeah, here we go. The events of the uh, last week have opened my eyes to a glaring, uh, well, problem and a discrepancy within the greater movement referred to as online discernment ministry. Now, by the way, the term ODM, uh, that's a term that has been used derogatorily of uh, online discernment ministries. And I'm not using this phrase derogatorily. I just want to let you all know that. Why? Because that would be silly because um, you, um, Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith technically are a uh, online discernment Ministry, but that's a different story. Anyway, so um, I, you know, so uh, I, you know, I, some, there's some glaring problems that need to be addressed in the general movement known as online discernment ministries. I want to make it clear that I'm not making a blanket accusation. I mean, there's some people who are guilty, some people who are not, at, you know, and there's some people who just like don't even care. They're they're not even aware of the situation. Anyways, uh, so I'm not in any way trying to diminish the importance of online discernment ministries. Fact is, I, I think that online discernment ministries serve the body of Christ in very important ways, and that because of the growing lack of discernment on the part of many notable Christian leaders and the epidemic of biblical illiteracy that has overtaken uh, the church, that online discernment ministries will not be going away anytime soon. No, quite to the contrary. I, I believe that online discernment ministries will take a more vital and important role in the body of Christ in the future. And it's because of that that I, I'm making this appeal. Now, the Bible makes it clear that sound doctrine is not an option. Instead, it's the responsibility of every teacher in the church to teach sound doctrine. I, I would quote Titus chapter 1 verse 9 in my defense in this case. So here's the deal. With the rise of the non-denominational churches and the collapse of the denominations has come a wave of false teachers, false prophets, false Christs, and a scad of plastic banana feel-good preachers and religious con artists who've swept into the church in order to prey on God's sheep. Now, at the same time this was occurring, political correctness and postmodern irrationality came to prominence in the culture, and they came flooding into the church as well. So these forces, all three of these forces, have combined to create the perfect storm for apostasy. So because of postmodernity, people have lost the ability to think critically. 
because of the rise of non-denominational churches and church networks, there are no longer structures, official structures in place for identifying false teachers and removing them from the pulpit. And because of political correctness, few today have the stomach to dare say that what a pastor is teaching is false or even worse, heretical. It is these sets of circumstances that have made online discernment ministries necessary, and it is these circumstances that will make their ongoing work even that much more important and vital in the future. That being said, I must be brutally honest. There are some online discernment ministries that are engaging in dubious discernment. I just love that phrase. In fact, you know, one of the things I'm considering doing, I'm actually considering uh, beginning running a regular segment on Fighting for the Faith entitled Adventures in Dubious Discernment. Okay, well, I'll explain why in a minute, but, you know, anyway. So, listen, uh, some some online discernment ministries are engaging in dubious discernment, and they have resorted to fighting the lies that have crept into the church, well, with their own lies and with factual distortions and faulty logic and, well, spurious evidence. Quite frankly, this is unacceptable. Okay? Now, so so that you understand, okay, I don't think that lying about somebody is ever justified. It, it's wrong. We're not to bear false witness against our neighbor. And uh, and you can't maintain um, your credibility as somebody who is defending the truth if the way you're defending the truth, well, that you're resorting to, well, how did I say it? Lies, distortions, faulty logic, and spurious evidence. You know, you just, you can't do that. It's... Um, yeah, that's silly. That's um, you don't fight lies with lies. All of us as Christians are called to be ambassadors of Christ. Therefore, you got to remember when we're doing ministry in His name. Yeah, that in His name part, His name is attached to it. So anyway, and let me continue on. So um, one cannot maintain the claim with any sense of credibility that they are defending God's truth while using lies, distortions, bad evidence, faulty logic, and dubious evidence. Okay. Furthermore, Scripture is clear that the purpose of a doctrinal rebuke is so that the person who is being rebuked will ultimately be sound in the faith. I quote for evidence of this, Titus chapter 1, verse 13. So in other words, one of the primary goals of discernment is to correct and restore those who are not teaching sound doctrine. So the scripture, the scriptures also make it clear that apologetics giving a reasoned defense, uh, hope for the faith that you have, uh, and discernment are to be done in a spirit of love and respect for our neighbors. Now, that being said, I need to tell you something here. I do not think that the biblical definition of love is that we always run around and give people hugs and say, oh, that's okay, and never say a harsh word or um, never take their bad ideas. And, well... 
for lack of a better way of putting it, use satire and humor as a way of showing the absurdity of their positions. That's not what I mean. The kind of love I'm talking about is tough love. It's the kind of love that's in-your-face love. It's the kind of love that loves you so much, I'm going to tell you the truth, even if it's going to hurt your feelings, because, yeah, your feelings don't get to determine what's true. Truth is true whether you and I believe it is true or not, and I'm here to tell you the truth, and uh, and I know this is going to hurt, but ultimately I'm doing this for your own good. That's what I mean by love, and I think that's what the scriptures mean by it too. Anyway, uh, let's see here. So, um, okay, furthermore, the scriptures also make it clear apologetics and discernment are to be done in a spirit of love and respect for our neighbors. I quote uh, to support this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. You know, I want to read that one. Hang on a second here. Uh, if you have your Bible, flip on over to Galatians chapter 6. I want to point something out here. Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, starting at verse 1, if anyone is caught in a transgression, if anyone is caught in any transgression, okay, what's a transgression? Answer, a sin. What's a sin? A breaking of God's commandments, of not doing the, the will that God has revealed is his will for us to be doing. For instance, it is his will that we have no other gods before him, and it is also God's will, according to God, that we do not bear false witness in his name. So teaching false doctrine is a transgression. Biblically, That's uh, this is a solid case here. So if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, otherwise you too will be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, then well, then he deceives himself. But let everyone test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Galatians chapter 6. So, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, so that's the idea here. Let me get back to my story here. Okay, so the the uh, scriptures clear the purpose of doctrine and rebuke is so that a person would be sound in the faith. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the scriptures also make it clear apologetics and discernment are to be done in a spirit of love and respect for our neighbors, and we are not in a battle against flesh and blood. Let me repeat that. We are not in a battle against flesh and blood. That is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We battle not against flesh and blood. We battle not against flesh and blood. We don't battle against flesh and blood. That means the folks who are out there teaching the bad doctrine, our battle isn't against them. In reality, our battle is for them. It is for them. Okay? All right? So we are not in a battle against flesh and blood. We are in a battle for the flesh, for flesh and blood. And like the disciples, we are fishers of men. Therefore, every measure must be taken in love to reach out to those who are teaching false doctrine and to call them to repentance in order that they may be forgiven and may be sound in their teaching. Because ultimately, really what this is about, discernment is really truly about removing the stuff that gets put on top of the gospel so that you can't see it. Um, it's it, it, In uh, corporate circles, we talk about mission creep, okay? 
yeah, when when you when mission creep starts to come into a project, then what happens is the project never achieves its original objectives because they've lost sight of what those original objectives are. The original objectives that we're always trying to get back to is the proclamation of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, to proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins. Because ultimately, false doctrine and false teaching is the stuff that obscures that clear message. Okay, And that's the reason why I come to the radio every day. And, uh, and take on a lot of the bad Bible twisting and stuff like that. Because for me, and I think the way Scripture would argue it, what's at stake is the gospel. And so it's, it's possible for somebody to not be a heretic, for somebody to actually be a, well, a, a, somebody who believes, teaches, and confesses the historic cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. And yet, because they're doing this other stuff, be causing people to take their eyes off of Jesus Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Just saying. Anyway, coming back. Okay, so um, our goal is to reach out in love to those who are teaching false doctrine, call them to repentance in order that they may be forgiven and sound in their teaching. And in those tragic cases where a teacher will not repent, continues to persist in their false doctrine and teaching, sadly, that teacher must be marked out as divisive, dangerous, or even heretical if the charges can prove it. And the body of Christ must be appropriately warned about them, must be appropriately warned. Otherwise, we're not loving our neighbor. That being the case, there are some in the, in the greater discernment camp who've lost sight of these biblical objectives, and sadly, I think that they're off track. Because here's what it boils down to. If you're using deception to fight deception, you're still part of the problem. It's then become about you and not about Christ and him crucified for our sins. And so what I'm calling for and what I'm, I've begun work on is a, uh, an, an ethical standards policy, if you would, a discernment ethics standard, the goal of which is to keep the primary focus of what we do in discernment is removing the stuff that obscures the proclamation of the gospel and the repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and Christ and him crucified for our sins and raised again on the third day. To refocus, to call for a refocus in discernment back to Christ and the gospel and to call for a voluntary well, adherence to the highest standards in research, data, and conclusions drawn from that, that data regarding dangerous, heterodox, Bible-twisting, Bible-believing, and heretical teachers in the church. You see, 
just because somebody is not teaching sound doctrine doesn't automatically make them, quote, a heretic. That's a term that has a meaning, and that meaning generally has to do with somebody who is rejecting, attacking, impugning, maligning, or tacitly denying the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. That being the case, there's a spectrum of error. There's a spectrum of error. And so we must do the job of good Bereans to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, And we must also properly draw correct conclusions and inferences from all of the data. That means we cannot subjectively refuse to allow some data to be weighed. That means we can't be selective in our application of data, nor can we engage in guilt by association, ad hominem attacks, or half-truths in making our case that a particular teacher is dangerous, subversive, or even heretical. The goal of which all of this is to help clean up some of the mess that exists in the general discernment camp because... What we're doing in discernment is so important. It is so important that we cannot allow discernment ministries to be disqualified and discredited because of some who haven't properly done their homework. All right, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Uh, my email address is uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We get back a couple of things uh, articles one from Daniel Needs, the other from uh, Dan Kimball, Dan and Dan, and then an email I want to read to you with kind of a discernment tough nut. Has to do with the Luzon movement. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Thank you for downloading Rob Bell's Lectio Divina. This is a resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. 
begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. Hold on a second. You out there! How am I supposed to experience the presence of God if you're using a jackhammer? Shut up! Don't feel sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of Scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no, no, no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of Scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death? What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time! I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something! If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way! Just open the Bible and read it! Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, you can't use deception to fight the deception. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. And you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of this important discernment broadcast, as well as the overall work of Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution and specify the amount of your contribution, you can do so. By clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Now, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read part of, or maybe most of, a a blog post written by the controversial figure known as Dan Kimball, one of the leaders in the emerging church movement. Dan Kimball writes, in the name of his recent blog post, a call for Christian discernment websites to lovingly discern each other. Now, notice he didn't say go to war with each other. He didn't say bash each other. He said lovingly discern each other. Because here's the deal. And yeah, what, what I'm calling for in, in, uh, in with this idea of a discernment ethics standard is for us to lovingly push and, and challenge those in the discernment camp to do the best work, not the, not, not the substandard stuff. But to do the best, and to put the and to really put our best foot forward, because what we're doing is so vitally important, especially in today's current church atmosphere. So anyway, Dan Kimball writes. He says, "I'm on a book writing retreat and need to get back to that." Yeah, he's in he's in a, a tropical region. I've been communicating with him. He says, "So please excuse any grammar as I'm typing fast." I better read it fast then. <laughs> he says, but I had a couple of things I wanted to express. As someone I know has been hurt from a recent series of inaccurate things reported on Christian discernment websites and in the comments on those websites. In fact, many people get hurt from these websites all of the time. Okay, So often from misrepresentation and those posting not having all of their facts correct about people. I wish I would have said something earlier, but I've tried to generally not pay too much attention to them because many of them, not all, are not accurate in what they're generally reporting. When something is true, we totally need these websites to help us learn. Let me read that again. Okay, the one thing I I got to give more props to Dan Kimball, even though there's some people sitting there going, ah, "Don't do that." Yeah, yeah. Listen. 
you, you, you praise the truth where it is, because I want to point out a completely different attitude with Dan Campbell. First of all, he contacted me. Okay, that's important. But the other thing is, is that you remember one of my ongoing complaints about Perry Noble, despite every effort that I've ever made to contact him, invite him onto the program, give him the opportunity on air to correct any misconceptions to, you know, whatever, speak for himself, you know, and for me to have a little dialogue with him. He shot every single attempt that I've ever made to contact him down and instead has resorted to, uh, well, small children, please cover your ears. Parents, you have exactly Four seconds to cover the ears of your child. Four, three, two, one. Yeah, to uh, Perry Noble has uh, once again called me a uh, jackass. No, no kidding. So in Perry Noble's book, there's no such thing as a godly critic. There's no such thing as a person who has a valid biblical critique of anything that he said. But not so with Dan Kimball. Dan Kimball, let me read this sentence again. When something is true, we totally need these discernment websites in order to help us learn. Completely different attitude. But when they aren't credible, uh, then they aren't helpful and, in fact, hurt people and lead people in incorrect ways. For those that don't know, a discernment website is when a ministry focuses on looking out for what is wrong in their opinions in the Christian world and if false teaching happens. We do need to be careful about what is being taught out there today. And I'm very thankful that he's said this as an emerging church leader. Dan, that means you guys in the emerging camp got to clean up your act too. You shouldn't have to be relying on us guys, discernment guys, to do that. Now, he says, as local church leaders, I fully believe we need to be constantly and lovingly holding each other to the teachings of Scripture, such as 1 Timothy 4.16, where it says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save your both, both yourself and your hearers. Mm-hmm. As a local church leader, I know in our church we try our best to ensure that all of those serving in leadership roles are on the same page with the historic Orthodox doctrines of the faith. As a local church, we can have differing opinions on such things as end times belief, whether one is premillennial or amillennial, etc. And that is a healthy thing to have differences on these things like this. But then on historic doctrines of the church, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and even further developed statements such as the Luzon Covenant, which I'm going to come back to, by the way, because I'm not the biggest fan of the Luzon Covenant, but I understand where he's coming from. He says it's necessary to unite people around doctrines. Doctrines do shape our churches. Doctrines shape what we focus on and are living today today values and ethics. Doctrines even define who we think Jesus is or who he isn't based out of Scripture. So they are very important. I do believe that discernment and guarding doctrines is very important and biblical. This is Dan Kimball, by the way. This is not Roseboro. This is Kimball. But one of the saddest things I have experienced in the Christian world is when Christian discernment websites go overboard and and take it upon themselves to discern the whole world and to guard the planet. That is what it feels like. And as some do, it is often done in the harshest and meanest non-Jesus-like ways. Mm -hmm. Jesus 
had hard words to say to people, and it was generally the very people making inaccurate judgments against others. Again, I know as a local church leader, we need to guard doctrine and teaching, and we need to be discerning. We need to carefully make sure that those in leadership understand core doctrines and theology. As I teach in our church, I am always open to correction and have people all around me on staff and in the church whom I believe will ask questions or challenge something I say if it's not making sense or it's inaccurate. I believe in the church. We even need to judge each other. Listen to this. Again, Dan Kimball, he's spot on here. He says, I believe in the church we even need to judge each other. I preached a few weeks ago about the importance of actual of actually judging each other as a local church in the way scriptures guide us to. We walked through what it looks like to be holding each other accountable in the church as taught in Matthew 18 and also Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 2. But the scriptures also teach how the church should not judge the world and those outside of the church. There is guidance given in how to do that as we need it. I can repeat the whole I can't repeat the whole sermon here, but as I shared an important point of how Jesus never said not to judge each other, those who follow him, but he said stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. John chapter 7 verse 24. It is far too easy to judge by mere appearances than to actually know what is happening inside someone or inside a church. It is far too easy for people to make judgments so incredibly often. It is by those who have not even read the books by the very authors they judge. Or taken the time to look at the accuracy of websites who may quote a sentence or two, but never look at the context it was written from. I think that some, not all, but several of these Christian discernment websites and the people who comment on them and follow them don't take the words of Jesus seriously. They judge by mere appearances. Not just the people who run the websites, but also the people who make comments on them or link to them, etc. They judge by appearance. They judge by guilt, by association. They judge by taking sentences out of context to build a case for what they already pre-believe in order to prove their point. Almost cult-like, actually, in how things can be twisted to make a point, they judge by not actually taking the time to ask the person if what they are seeing as appearance may be true. And even if some are proven wrong, I have experienced that some, I have experienced that some, not all, even refuse to admit that they are ever wrong. It is the strangest thing. I was just told that one discernment website was using a page from a website that I had closed down four or five years ago. Some of the links on the page were to websites I no longer could endorse or agree with from the time I initially posted them. Now, let me tell you what he's talking about here, okay? Yesterday, on my Facebook wall, I was very active. I, I was out there engaging the folks who were disagreeing with me strongly, specifically so that I could learn, so that I could learn what they what evidence they had for making the conclusions or drawing the conclusions that they were drawing regarding Dan Kimball. And, uh, and one gal in particular 
She said, Dan Kimball has linked to, on his website, uh, uh, Brian McLaren, Doug Padgett, and other emergent leaders. And this proves that he is actually a heretic and is recommending these people. And that somehow what he really is is kind of like a Pied Piper. I, you know that the role that Dan Kimball is supposedly playing in this conspiracy is that he's the guy who says he believes sound biblical doctrine, and he's like the Pied Piper of Hamlin. And he tells the kids, "Come follow me," you know, and and so they come follow him. And what he's doing is, is his, his job is to, you know, to lead the uh, the unsuspecting sheep of God into the hands of the wolves who want to destroy them. Okay, and the proof that was given was this uh, webpage. Now, I have a copy of the webpage. I've kept it for myself. But what I did is, as soon as I saw that evidence, I contacted Dan. I said, Dan, listen, um, you know, I don't want to tell you how to do things, but i got to tell you this, is, uh, is that this is, uh, this is a problem. You know, this webpage. And now, I didn't, under, I didn't understand, you know, that this website had been closed down, you know, and... Uh, and so I contacted it. I said, you know, it's got links to Doug Paget, Brian McLaren, and others, and, um, and this is not compatible with the orthodoxy that you confessed on my program. And he sprung into action immediately. And he, he immediately apologized and said, Chris, that page is part of a website that I haven't used for four to five years. It hasn't been updated. And four or five years ago, historically, folks, we, you know, we had deep suspicions that Brian McLaren was a heretic, but it was very difficult to prove because he was being so evasive. And so the, what we know now is not what we knew then. And so at that time, Dan Kimball did link to, uh, uh, to Solomon's Porch. He did link to Doug Paget's website. He did link to Brian McLaren and, and other um, people who, well, I, you can't link to because now they, you know what their theology is. And so he immediately contacted the people who hosted that, you know, that old site and basically said, you know, you know, it, it, first of all, the, the, if you were to go, if you were to type in the, the homepage URL, it would have redirected you to a different website. And it's been doing that for five years, five years. Okay. But they, they apparently they didn't uh, delete like the subdirectories. And as a result of it, that link page was still up, but there's no way to navigate to it anyway. As soon as I contacted Dan, he contacted his people, and he immediately pulled that down. And, the, and, he, and he even gave the reason. Here's what he says. I was told that one discernment website was using a page from a website that I had closed down four to five years ago. Some of the links on the page were to websites I no longer could endorse or agree with from the time I initially posted them. By the way... um. The word repentance means to change your mind. When Dan Kimball says that he can't link to a web page anymore because he no longer agrees with them, he's metanoiad. He has repented. He's changed his mind, and as a result of it, taken action in accordance with his new change of mind. Dan continues, says, I truly think there is a total need for discernment websites. Let me read that again. I truly think there is a need for discernment websites. We need people 
to look at the broader church and the teachings that develop which may stray from historic doctrines of the church. I loved Walter Martin's writings and turned to discernment and apologetics ministries that are trustworthy. But the Internet has allowed people to have voices whom didn't build credibility over the years and have trust. Trusted ministries like a Walter Martin or a Greg Kolkel to stand to reason who frequently go on their website and, and I and trust Greg, or like Josh McDowell or Lee Strobel, these are leaders and apologists you can trust as they have shown over time they do their homework and aren't judging by mere appearances. I've recently met with Chris Roseborough from a discernment ministry called Pirate Christian Radio. I was in Indiana and contacted Chris since he lives there, and we met up, and he saw me preach in a chapel at the, at the university. And then we hung out, and we went to James Dean's sites in James Dean's hometown. Chris, and, Chris seems to be searching for truth, and instead of just drawing conclusions against me, he took the time to ask me specific questions and explore our ministry and my beliefs. We disagreed on methodology issues and what it meant to be on mission as a missionary and about church growth issues, but we both agreed on the core doctrines of of the historic Christian faith. Chris then posted that he hung out with me and called me a Christian brother, and then some, but not all, but a vocal few in the Christian discernment camp and on comments by people on his own Facebook page turned on him like piranhas in a frenzy. It is the strangest thing. It is heartbreaking reading things like that. And as Chris and I have corresponded since, he's experiencing now what it's like on the other end of things. A discerner is experiencing improper discernment from his own people. It's really funny and it's truly sad all at the same time. Jesus says, We will be held accountable for our words, Matthew 12, 36, and that out of the overflow of our heart our mouths speak. So what is in us, in our hearts, comes spewing out easy through our fingers as we type. So what we read on blogs and in comments, the tone, the love, or the lack thereof, the manner and the truthfulness of what is written is a reflection of our hearts and what is inside of us. What, am I, what I'm trying to say is that discernment websites need to start discerning each other if their ministry is focused on that very thing pointing out wrongs and inaccuracies, then it seems like they should be doing it with each other more. Perhaps some health would happen uh, in the discernment camp if they spent more time researching and evaluating the truthfulness and accuracy and how loving or not what each of them is writing. Jesus said to first take the log out of your own eye and then you can make a healthy judgment on another. So what if these discernment websites started to look at each other with the same intensity and scrutiny that they do at other people. What would they find if they really did start checking sources and going deeper than mere appearances? Understand that some do actually do their, pers- do their research properly and do talk to individuals and do seek out the actual truth, but not all of them do. This goes for those who are fans of discernment websites and write comments and say these types of things too. So many commenters can quickly type a fierce word about people they don't know and have never read their books nor talked to. Perhaps it's time, like seen in 1 Corinthians 5, for Christian discernment folks and commentators on these sites to look inward and turn the lens they use on others, on each other, to probe themselves deeply for truth and for accuracy, to see if they tolerate inaccuracy or are guilt or are guilt by association or even conspiracy theories. 
to see how loving they are or are not. I know by writing this they may not change at all and may never change, but I'm horribly saddened by seeing Christians devour each other. Galatians 5 verse 15 says, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. There's more to Dan's article if you want to read it, and you can read it at dankimble.com. But I think Dan has made some valid points. And I come back to what I've been saying from the beginning. Discernment ministries are important. And their role and their function in the church in the future is going to be even more important. So it's important that they, all of them, maintain the highest ethical standards, make sure that they draw the correct conclusions from their research, that they have done their due diligence and understand all of the data, and and that they do their work in love and in hope for repentance and the forgiveness of sins and restoration for those who teach false doctrine. Now, like I've said in previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, I may be wrong. I could be totally missing it here. But if I am, if that's what you think, then show me from the clear teaching of the Word of God that I'm wrong. If you can make your case biblically, then I will repent, because my mind is held captive to God's Word. All right, one more article, and then I'll tell you my tough nut story here. This is an article written by Daniel Needs. He is a friend of mine on Facebook and an avid listener to the program on the other side of the Atlantic. Daniel has a blog, by the way, and it's betterthansacrifice.org. And uh, his subtitle is Bible-Based Resources and Comment. And here's what Daniel says. Uh, He asks the question, what is the activity we call discernment really all about? Now, I'm sure he would say this in like a really cool accent, but I can't speak in that accent, so I'm not even going to try. He asks, what is discernment? Even as I mentioned the word, a multitude of Bible passages leap into our minds. Ezekiel, the, uh, the watchman. Jesus warning of false Christs and false prophets that will arise. The Jews at Berea who searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether Paul was teaching them the truth. Paul telling the Thessalonians to test all things and hold fast to that which is good. And instructing Titus to reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Peter warning about false teachers who secretly bring in destructive heresies and many, many more. All of these passages are are helpful helpful to us in various ways. Paul tells the Philippians that he prays this for them in Philippians chapter 1, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The immediate context there gives us a very good idea of what Paul means by discernment. Notice that he couples discernment with knowledge. The two are clearly related in some way. Paul prays that the Philippians will abound ever increasingly in both these things, 
with the result that they may approve the things that are excellent and be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. How we need this kind of knowledge and discernment. May the Lord grant it also to us in abundance that we might too be found sincere and without offense until he comes again and filled the fruits of righteousness by Christ. But we still haven't answered our question, what is discernment? Let us reach for a passage that is perhaps not always forefront in our minds when we think about discernment and what it means to be discerning. You know it well, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his purpose, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they." I wish to juxtapose that passage with a verse, a few verses from a little further on in the same text. The therefore with which the text passage starts follows directly on from the premise stated in the verses above. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. God has spoken to us by the prophets, and in these last days by his glorious Son. The same Son who has purged our sins, who now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, as the ESV puts it. Why? Lest we drift away, because we shall not escape if we neglect so great a salvation a salvation that at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by those who heard him, and God himself bearing witness with signs, wonders, miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Is not true discernment this very activity of paying close attention to what we have heard about a great salvation? Salvation proclaimed by Christ, undertaken for Christ, accomplished by Christ on the cross, a salvation we hear spoken of in the Scriptures by the Holy Spirit, through the prophets and the apostles, and yes, even Christ himself. If not by paying close attention to what we have heard about this great salvation, what other method is there by which we may discern or truly be called discerning? It now becomes clear why knowledge is an essential prerequisite for discernment, We have to know about the great salvation that is to be found only in Christ if we are to pay close attention to it. Having received that great salvation, the love of Christ poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit now compels us to study it, 
to proclaim it, even to contend for it. We do this in the hope that the Spirit may yet work in others' faith and repentance by hearing the word of Christ, even granting to them the same joy that grace has purchased at great price and freely bestowed upon us. The sermon thus begins and ends with Christ. It is always about Christ and his person and his work. Discernment abides in Christ. It feeds richly on his word. For in the scriptures alone do we find authoritative revelation of the person and the work of Christ. All the scriptures speak of him, and in them we encounter God in human flesh, crucified for our sins and raised for our being declared righteous. Discernment that is not centered upon Christ and his gospel is thus utterly devoid of worth. It is fit for nothing but the dung heap. Discernment thus rallies every believer with this cry, Christ crucified for sinners and raised from the dead. To the scriptures which speak of him, contend for this faith once delivered, shine forth this good news, the power and the wisdom of God to those who are called. If we are always about that business, if our every engagement were to further the cause of that gospel, truly then would be, we would be discerning discerners. Frail as we are, may our Heavenly Father, the Almighty and the Everlasting God, grant for the sake of His Son by His Spirit that we cling to our great God and Savior with simple, childlike trust. Confident of all that he has promised, may he give us wisdom and true discernment through his word, keeping us from every sin and danger, governing all of our doings that they, that we, they may be righteous in his sight. May he cause us to hold fast to the author and the finisher of our faith, even Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. This is what it means to be discerning. We're up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. 
Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. We're in hour number two, and we're not going to go straight into our sermon review just yet. have a little bit more unfinished business I'd like to take care of regarding, well, discernment. Yeah, I'm cringing at the thought of today's sermon review, too. Yeah, but I know it's necessary. i got to curb off some of the testosterone I have running through my system because I'm going to a football game tonight. All right. Um, before we, uh, well, let me tell you this. Before, uh, as we move on, one of the things I wanted to do was address, kind of give you a sampling of uh, the types of comments I was getting from folks on my Facebook wall. And uh, I, I, I took yesterday off from the radio, and even though I was just emotionally exhausted and physically exhausted too because of this whole whole incident. I took the time yesterday to spend some time really trying to dialogue with the folks who were most vocal uh, in uh, in their well, for, you know, in their opposition to me and the things I you know I said about Dan Kimball and even what Dan Kimball said about himself. And uh, and a few people they tried dialoguing with me. And uh, one of the repeated comments I got from people is, is that, well, Chris, you're not listening. <laughs> it's like, if <laughs> I, I want to let you know something, okay? For those of you who comment on my Facebook wall, if I'm dialoguing with you on my Facebook wall, I'm listening to you. I'm hearing everything you're writing. I, I'm getting it. And if I come back at you with tough, clarifying questions... There's a reason for it, and if I so this keep this as a general rule when posting on my Facebook wall. If I end up dialoguing with you, if I end up challenging something you've said, if I end up pushing you and you know making you prove your point with factual data, it's not that I'm not listening to you; it's that I am listening to you and am convinced you haven't proven your position. Tis true, tis true. You're thinking, well, that seems kind of mean, Chris. You know, you just there's people that just want to talk to you and you know they just want to <clears throat> I'm here to discuss with you. And if you want to engage me in dialogue, then expect that I might push back. It, it's just the way it is. That's what the Facebook wall's for, by the way. You get to push back on me, I get to return the favor. That's how this works. 
Anyway, uh, one of the guys who uh, wrote me on uh, my Facebook wall, and I'm not going to mention his name because uh, at the end of the exchange, he ended up unfriending me or defriending me. So we're no longer friends. And uh, my hope is that he'll uh, he'll continue listening and that he'll realize, uh, yeah, maybe it wasn't the smartest thing to defriend Chris. But you know, he doesn't. You don't have to be my friend. But anyway, uh, here's what he said in, in in an exchange with him. And what I was trying to get at what I, while I was dialoguing with both folks on my Facebook wall is. How are they coming to these conclusions regarding Dan Kimball? And what are the conclusions that they're coming to? Okay. And so this gentleman, whom I will refer to as Bob. Bob, that's not his name, but I will refer to him as Bob. Bob wrote, he says, um, he says, um, in any event, it is plainly, uh, talking about Second John chapter uh, 1, this is plainly about welcoming false teachers and unbelievers. He says, I'm not convinced that Dan Kimball is no longer a teacher of a different gospel. I have heard his words, but wait to see his actions. We live in perilous times and must be on strict guard against wolves. Now, I agree with the uh, Bob, that we must be on strict guard against wolves. Absolutely, completely, 100% agree. But did you notice what he said? He says, I am not convinced that Dan Kimball is no longer a teacher of a different gospel. Okay, so he had come to some kind of conclusion that Dan Kimball was a teacher of a different gospel. And this is where the rub is, okay? So what I did is I wrote him back. I said, Bob, thank you again for the conversation. I think we're making some very good progress, and I like the tone of our exchange. So I'd like to challenge you by quoting something that you said in your last comment back to you. Here's what you said. Quote, I am not convinced Dan Kimball is no longer a teacher of a different gospel. This is where we are not seeing eye to eye. Can you provide me with clear and compelling evidence in Dan Kimball's own words where he's taught a different gospel. For the sake of this conversation, I'm not saying Dan did, and I'm not saying Dan didn't teach a different gospel. In fact, my opinion doesn't matter. What matters is the truth, and the truth can only be arrived at through evidence. But keep this in mind. On Monday's Fighting for the Faith, Dan Kimball, in his own words, in his own voice, said that, that the gospel that he believes today is the same gospel he's believed and taught during the entire time the emerging church movement has been alive. Since you're taking an opposing view, which you're entitled to do, the burden of proof rests on you to prove through clear and compelling evidence that Dan once taught a different gospel. Do you have that evidence? So Bob wrote back, Are you asking for original research? I do not own any of Dan Kimball's books, and I'm not inclined to buy any. Not, nor have I ever heard any of his sermon tapes, but they should be available. I, I use the internet and multiple sources that I trust for opinions of his doctrine. And what I see is an emergent church, which I consider cultist and non-biblical and non-biblical and pastors, uh, pastor, a pastor who chooses to stay there despite what that movement stands for. He has embraced labyrinths and occultic mess he embraces Rick Warren and seeker-driven methods and extends them. 
and I don't want to spend my evening researching this. It's more than enough for me. Now, before I read my next comment, I want to point out, okay, one of the most vocal critics on my Facebook wall who was challenging me admitted that he had never once read a single book or a paragraph in a book written by Dan Kimball. But he was convinced that Dan Kimball at one time preached a different gospel. He had never once heard a single sermon that Dan Kimball preached. But he was convinced that, that Dan Kimball at one time preached a different gospel. And the place where he got all of his information was trusted sources on the Internet. Now, in that case, I mean, he should have gone to those trusted sources and just followed their footnotes and their documentation and provided the evidence. Okay? But I want to point something out here. Nothing that he said there qualified as evidence that proved that Dan Kimball ever taught a different gospel. I, I, want to, I made this point on Monday, and I'll make it again. There is a very good reason why I play entire sermons when I review sermons here at Fighting for the Faith, and why when I play video clips, I try to play all of the video clip. It's not because I like boring you to tears or I'm trying to fill up space. It's because it, I don't want to misquote people. I, I really don't. And I want you to hear what people are saying in its, in, in its full context so that you can draw concle- correct conclusions and inferences from what they've said in their own words. Now, is it a perfect method? No, but it sure does beat picking and hunting and pecking and taking stuff out of context. And by the way, isn't that one of our biblical rules of interpretation here, like the primary one? You know, if you want to know what the Bible says, the three rules are context, context, and context. Same applies to somebody who may be teaching something falsely. You have to see what they've been saying in context and make sure that you're not quoting them out of context to make them say something they didn't say. By the way, politicians, something I've learned here, are very skilled at that particular technique. Anyway, so Bob said that he got all of his information, all, and this is one of, my, one of my loudest, most vocal critics on my own Facebook wall, that he had gotten all of his stuff third, second and third hand. And by the way, the whole labyrinth thing, we talked about that with Dan. I talked to with the, about that with Dan on Monday's program. So anyway, so I wrote Bob back, and this was on my Facebook wall. I said, Bob... You've raised some very valid concerns regarding Dan's methodologies, but what you've provided does not meet even the minimum threshold for the evidence that is necessary to prove the very serious charge that Dan has taught a different gospel. By the way, if Dan has taught a different gospel, that, by definition, is heresy. Okay? So I I continue... Bob, did you know that in the Old Testament that God set very high standards for the type and amount of evidence that is necessary to convict somebody of the charge of blasphemy? Remember, when Jesus was on trial and they couldn't get the necessary number of witnesses to agree with each other regarding the charges they were bringing against Jesus, that was not just some legal technicality. It was a biblical technicality. 
So charging Dan Kimball with teaching a different gospel is a, is as serious of a charge as charging somebody with in the Old Testament era with blasphemy. And the same threshold of evidence is necessary to convict a person on those charges. So, are you going to retract the charge that Dan Kimball taught a different gospel? Or are you going to provide evidence that he did? Because by making the claim that he taught a different gospel without providing the necessary evidence to back up the charge is a sin. And it's a breaking of the commandment that says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Now, as your Christian brother, I am obligated to call you to repent of your sins and to be forgiven. So which is it? Will you provide the evidence to back the charge, or will you repent for bearing false witness? Bob's final comment on my Facebook wall before he defriended me was, goodbye. And I think that exchange is the quintessential type of exchange that I've been experiencing on my Facebook wall. People who are Christian brothers and sisters who have received their information second and third hand from websites that have engaged in flat-out guilt-by-association type arguments and have drawn incorrect conclusions as a result of it. That's not discernment. That's another form of deception. And I will be speaking out on a regular basis about websites that claim to be doing discernment but are not. Why? Because I love the people who operate those discernment blogs and they don't realize just how important their job really is. And we can't besmirch the name of Christ and you can't fight deception with deception. All right, moving along here. I got to cue up my email music because I have an email that I want to share with you all. And uh, the purpose of sharing this email is to provide you with what I would consider to be a um, discernment tough nut. Yeah, it's a discernment tough nut. So this is kind of a think-along email, if you would. Okay, this uh, email comes to me from Aaron, and um, I think Aaron lives in the Chicago area, but I'm not sure exactly which town. But uh, I met Aaron. Uh, she uh, she came she came to Indiana during one of my speaking engagements uh, during the summer. But um, yeah, Aaron writes. She says, "Hi, Chris. You know, I was wondering if I could get your two cents on the Lausanne global conversation." While I I acknowledge that their covenant appears solid, I'm disturbed by the ecumenical agenda, the inclusion of female pastors, and of course by Rick Warren's endorsement, among other things. The new director of uh, Bible Study Fellowship was present at this Falls Luzon conference in Cape Town. Otherwise, it never would have appeared on my radar. Anyway, I'd love to get your opinion on on this movement. Thank you and blessings, Aaron. Okay, now Aaron, I wrote her back. 
And uh, here's what I said. I said, you know, Aaron, I have some very mixed feelings about the Lausanne movement. And the reason why is that they seem to say one thing and then do the opposite. So let me give you an example. In the Lausanne Covenant doctrinal statement that is published on the Lausanne movement's website, it says this regarding the uniqueness and the universality of Christ. Quote, We affirm that there is only one Savior and only one gospel. Although there is a wide diversity of evangelistic approaches, we recognize that everyone has some knowledge of God through his general revelation in nature, but we deny that this can save, for people suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. We also reject as derogatory to Christ and to the gospel every kind of syncretism and dialogue which implies that Christ speaks equally through all religions and ideologies. Let me read that last sentence again. We also reject as derogatory to Christ and the gospel every kind of syncretism and dialogue, which implies that Christ speaks equally through all religions and ideologies. Now, on the surface, this statement sounds like a patent rejection of syncretism, and it sounds like a complete positive affirmation of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But some of the folks who are associated with the Lausanne movement have created this Video. Now, I'm going to play for you the audio from this video, and the name of this video is um, uh, Muslim Followers of Christ. It's from the website JesusInTheQuran.org, and this was actually put together by the Lasan uh, movement. Listen carefully. It asks the question, is it possible to find salvation in Jesus Christ and also be a faithful Muslim? Let me ask, this is the question that's posed by this video. Is it possible to find salvation to, in Jesus Christ and also be a faithful Muslim? By the way, this is the very definition of syncretism. More text. In, the, in December 2009, the Global Conversation explores the growing number of followers of Isa, that's Jesus, in the Muslim world. One of the followers is a graduate student in Asia, another is a businessman in the Gulf. Here are their testimonies. Warm greetings to you, my brothers and sisters, who have made Isa your Lord. I am a Muslim and a follower of Jesus. I know that some of you may find it strange to hear that I, a Muslim, confess Isa as my Lord and Savior. Jesus is my Savior. I know my sins, and I felt my future was hopeless and without heaven. Jesus has changed all that by being the sacrifice for me. And now, since coming to Christ, my life is full of hope. I do believe in the cross that Jesus died and rose again. After reading another... Then you're not a Muslim. You're a Christian. 
article a few years ago I have found that it doesn't lack integrity for me to remain a Muslim and believe this even though I have not changed religions and I am still a Muslim I have experienced many differences internally in my soul the first is I feel more submitted and obedient to God in follow well he feels more submitted and more obedient to God that's proof that you can Following Jesus, I have found meaning and purpose in every area. He has even changed the way I do business. At home each night, we read the Angel together and pray. I feel that by having evening Bible studies, my children are being grounded in God's Word. There is one God. He is like a father. He has created all things, and He loves those things He has created. His Spirit lives in us when we believe, and is everywhere working in the hearts of men and women. And God has spoken powerfully by His written Word, and His eternal Word that became Jesus. In general, Muslims are nervous or feel threatened when talking to Christians, because they are afraid of being proselytized. With me, they can ask any question. Because even though they understand that I want them to accept Jesus, I'm not trying to get them to accept another religion. I consider. So he says, I, I want Muslims to accept Jesus, but not another religion. Is this a new sect of Islam? We got Sunni and, uh, you know, I forget the other name. We got Sunni uh, Islam and uh, the other kind of Islam. Do we now have Isa Islam? This is syncretism. Let's continue. Another religion. I consider myself to still be a Muslim. I know that all Muslims don't necessarily believe these things, but I do. And I remain firmly within my Muslim context and society. Being Muslim has a certain smell or feel to it. It's not as much about doctrine as those in the West might think. It's about... So Islam isn't about doctrine like those in the West might think, except for they deny the doctrine of the Trinity. But staying true to your family and friends, not abandoning them for another religion that is tied in their minds to the West. So I still pray and fast and live in a community with my people all the while following Jesus. So there you have it. That was uh, put out by the Lasan Conversation, uh, a video with the actual Lasan movement imprimatur and logo on it uh, on a website called Jesus in the Quran, basically syncretizing Islam and Christianity. And again, I go back to their statement from the Lasan Covenant. We affirm there is only one Savior and only one gospel, although there is a wide diversity of evangelistic approaches. We recognize that everyone has some knowledge of God through his general revelation in nature, but we deny that this can save, for people suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. We also reject, as derogatory to Christ and the gospel, every kind of syncretism. And dialogue, which implies that Christ speaks equally through all religions and ideologies. So here's the question. If they're hanging on to Islam and Christianity, aren't these folks syncretistically affirming that God has spoken in Islam too? 
So here's the idea. Which is it? Is every kind of syncretism derogatory to the gospel, or is the kind of syncretism that allows Christians to remain in Islam a kind of syncretism that is okay? That's the question for the folks at the Lausanne Covenant, the Lausanne Conference. Which is it? Because they seem to be speaking out of both sides of their mouth. You see, the problem, and this is, this is my suspicion with the Lausanne Covenant, is that their doctrinal statement may in fact have been created via bureaucratic consensus rather than through really sharp biblical um, exegesis. As a result, I fear that there may be many unseen loopholes that can be used to smuggle some crazy stuff into the body of Christ, including female pastors and other silly nonsense that takes our focus off of Christ and Him crucified for our sins and the proclamation of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. So here's the deal. There's not much to go on there, because for the most part, the Lausanne Covenant doctrinal statement seems somewhat solid. But when we see actions that are contradicting the um, the covenant that they've put together, well, then we have to we have got to uh, get clarification from the Lausanne folks, because two and two ain't equaling four here; it's equaling sixty-seven, and uh, and this is the kind of math that causes discernment folks to go crazy. Anyway, I just wanted to share that with you, and uh, I, I thought I'd pass that along because. Yeah, as, what you learn is, as you do discernment work, is that you can't always get a hard and fast answer, and sometimes you have to leave things in the category of, I don't know, but here's the reason I have problems, because they said one thing and they're doing another. That counts as evidence. What's happening there? I don't know. Who's doing this? I don't know. What are their motives? I'm sure they think they're good. That being the case... Uh, this is problematic at best and worth calling out and calling the Lausanne folks to repent. Yeah, that's what we want them to do. We want them to repent. So, All right, moving along here, it is time for our sermon review. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Why do I feel like I'm going to regret this? I just <laughs> Today's sermon <laughs> comes to us via Carrie Shook Ministries from down there at Fellowship in the Woodlands in Houston, Texas. The name of the sermon, The Art of Being All There. My eyes hurt. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I do not have a, a, I don't have fond memories of reviewing Carrie Shook sermons. And you know why? It, things did not start off well. He did a sermon review on like a 007 movie. And I think 007 is like the manliest man-man out there. And that sermon was just full of estrogen. Now, listen, estrogen's fine. It's, 
it just that um, estrogen is an inappropriate ingredient um, in sermons. I'm just saying. And if you're gonna take, if you're gonna go out of your way to like be seeker driven and attractional, and you know, try to attract men by doing a manly sermon, you don't take the manly sermon theme and then pour a bunch of pink liquid into it. I'm just, I'm saying. Anyway, so without any further ado. Here's the art of being all there. I, what are we listening for? What we want to hear. I want to hear the gospel. I want to hear about Jesus. I want to hear what Jesus has done for me. Will I hear it? I honestly don't know. I haven't heard this thing all the way through. The other thing I want to hear is God's word properly handled. Yeah, those are the things we're really looking for. A proper handling of God's word, good sound exegesis, and give me Jesus. Give me Jesus and him crucified for my sins, even me a Christian believer, and then that is a sermon worth listening to, worth waking up on a Sunday morning to, you know, put some decent clothes on and make the drive all the way out to church. So uh, anyway, with that in mind, let's dive into our sermon review. Here, Here's their opening music. Hang on. You're watching a presentation of Carrie Shook Ministries. Make it last, make it count. Let the passion in your heart be what you live. Love completely. Let the passion in your heart be what you live. I think I read that once on a fortune cookie. Make it last with the pure true love. Make it count with the passion to And now, part one of today's teaching, The Art of Being All There. See, already there's estrogen. I just It's in the mix. I can feel it. Relationships are a lot like a trapeze act. Oh, <laughs> it's a relationship, sir. Ah! Run, men, run. Let's <laughs> grab your motorcycles and meet me at the pirate ship. Good night. Uh, to build great and strong relationships, it, it really takes an art form that has to be developed over time. It takes hard work and creativity and building trust over the years so that you know you can count on that other person and they won't let you go through the hard times. Uh, they won't let go when things get difficult and crazy. Hey, I'm Kerry Shook. Uh, just a question. Do I, do I need a crucified and risen Savior for this? Because, I mean... I've seen Dr. Phil talk about stuff like this before, and I don't particularly like Dr. Phil. And Oprah does, talks about this kind of stuff all the time. And neither Dr. Phil or Oprah require me to pay a tithe to them. I'm Chris Shook. And we're so excited to be your guides over the next 30 days in what we believe could be the greatest adventure of your life. It's something we call the Love at Last Sight Challenge. And over the next 30 days, we're going to help you focus on the most important relationships in your life. Your relationship with the God who created you and your relationship with the people in your life who you care about the most. I think every one of us have maybe two or three problem relationships that aren't really what we want them to be. I am crawling out of my skin. I am not going to make it through the sermon. (laughs) And I don't know what those relationships are for you, but I do know this, that every one of us want to grow our relationships stronger and deeper because at the end of life, that's all that really matters. When you come to the end, I mean the end, 
you realize the only thing that brings fulfillment is relationships. No. (laughs) Okay, Carrie, can I point something out to you here? This should be patently obvious because you're supposed to be a Christian pastor. And um, when I come to the end of my life, I'm saying goodbye to everybody, and I'm about ready to stand in the presence of God. So at the end, the big relationship that matters is the one with God. And can you tell me anything about how to make sure that's a good one? Because the last thing I want to do is enter into eternity with a, on a, well, in a bad relationship, an adversarial relationship with God. <sighs> that relationship with the Lord and then the relationship with the people who are closest to you. And we always say, live your life for those who will cry at your funeral. And so really the goal of this 30-day challenge is to help you develop some art forms so that you can start this process of growing closer each and every day. See, Chris and I don't believe in love at first sight. And love at first sight is really just infatuation or attraction. So we don't believe in love at first sight, but we believe in love at last sight. That well, that's great. Do you believe in Jesus Christ and crucified for our sins? It's <laughs> the last time we see each other on this earth. We want to be more in love than we've ever been before. And the goal of the Love at Last Sight Challenge is that you'll have a stronger and deeper relationship the next time you get together than you did the time before. So that at the end of your life, the last time you see each other, you'll be closer and your relationship will be stronger than it's ever been. Notice the premise of this entire sermon is preparing you for death. (laughs) Ever been. Because people ask us all the time, Carrie and Chris, is it even possible to build a relationship that lasts forever and we want to say with god's power yeah it's it called jesus's death on the cross that through his shed blood i am redeemed and am a child of god an adopted child of god forever talk about a relationship that lasts forever you are aware that jesus said there's no marriage in heaven you know i'm just you know just saying you bet it is. With God's power, anything is possible. But you have to learn these arts that we still haven't learned. We don't have it all together, but this is what we practice. Doesn't that sound so humble? We don't have it all together. <laughs> and every day in our marriage relationship, in our relationship with our kids, our relationships with the people in our lives. And the first art that we're going to be studying is really important. is the art of being all there. Hey, we're starting... The series that we've been talking about, praying about, planning for months. Love at last sight. And we talked about how, for my wife Chris and I, our goal is love at last sight. In our marriage, it's our goal that the next time we're together, that we're closer in our marriage stronger than it was the time before. So that the last time we see each other on this earth, we'll be more in love than we've ever been. Our goal with our kids is the next time we're with them, that our relationship be deeper and more connected and stronger than it was the time before. Our relationship with our best friends, our goal is that the next time we're with them, that we'll have a stronger and closer relationship than we did the time before. And the only way that happens is to practice four relational arts that lead to love at last sight. Now, did Jesus teach these four relational arts? Maybe he did. I can't wait to hear him. We introduced the series last week, and today we're really starting it with the first art, the art of being all there, because this is the thing that can change relationships faster than anything else. 
That's because it stands out in our society that is so distracted, multitasking, doing 10 different things that we've lost the art of being all there. And when you lose the art of being all there, you lose. When a society loses the art of being all there, then you start losing relationships. You start losing the foundation of a society. So he's saving uh, society. Wow. And that's why we see so many marriages, record numbers falling apart today. That's why most people have a lot of acquaintances but no real friends. Because a real friend is not someone that you do a right click on the computer and it shows up, you've got a new friend. Uh, A real friend is someone who walks in when everyone else walks out. A real friend is someone who you can pick up the phone and call them. They'll drop everything in your time of need. A real friend is someone who you can cry on their shoulder. A real friend is someone who practices the art of being all there. Now, I want us to, as we kick this off today, I want us to look at the words of Christ again. As he reminds us that love is the only thing that really matters. At the end of the day. Okay, I want to stop for a second. I want to commend him. Okay, what is he doing? We're going to hear Jesus, Ray, <clears throat> and you're about to hear them do something that sounds very, very good, standing in honor of the Word of God. I'm glad we're going to hear from Jesus, and I'm glad they're going to stand in honor of the Word of God, but I want to point something out here. To really honor the Word of God and to really preach Jesus is to teach the full counsel of the Word of God, and especially when you're preaching what Jesus has taught, to preach Him and teach Him in context so that people can hear Jesus. You don't hear Jesus via soundbite. The Gospels were never preached via soundbite. Keep that in mind. The stories were meant to be heard in church. Day. It's our relationships our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and our relationships with the people closest to us. And that whole series is about our relationships, but not our acquaintances. It's great to have a network. It's great to have connections. That's all wonderful. I I love social networking and Twitter and emails and all that technology. But if you substitute those connections for deep community, then you're going to lose the art of being all there, and you're going to lose. And, And so we can't really... Use technology to build deep community. Use technology for networking, for connections. But you can't use it as a substitute for the art of being all there. We've got to go back to some of the old-fashioned ways of building relationships. And I want us to look at the words of Jesus in the great commandment. So would you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 30. And then- okay, now I want to point something out here. Is he reading this gospel text in context? Sadly, no. So you're about to hear them. They're going to stand up in honor of the word of God, and he's not going to preach the story. He's just going to take, he's going to lift just a little snippet out. Now, he said he's going to be reading from the great commandment. That should immediately alert you to a problem. And that uh, that problem should be this. Well, not that. Sorry, this. Law. You are about to hear God's law. Now, I want to point something out before we even get into the text, Okay. According to Scripture, what is the primary use of the law? Answer, to kill you. The, the preaching of the law is the, is the ministry of condemnation. 
Okay? If you have your Bibles, before you go over to Mark chapter 12, flip on over to Romans chapter 3. And in Romans chapter 3, we're going to pick up at the tail end of, an, of, a, of a case, a legal case that uh, the Apostle Paul began building at the beginning of chapter 1 and concludes here. And at the end of the legal case, every human being, Jew and Greek, slave, free, everybody, religious, unreligious, pagan, it doesn't matter. Everyone is declared to be, well, let me read what Paul says. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lip. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their path are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, the commandments... That, what is the summary of the law? It's the great commandment. Love God and love neighbor. For by works of the law, no human being, not one, will be declared righteous or justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Let me see if I could find this really quick here. I'm going to do a word search on my At Cordon's program, Condemnation. Hang on a second here. Condemnation. The condemnation. Okay, let's see here. Condemnation. I'm looking for a particular passage. Uh-huh. Mystery. Okay, for the glory and the ministry of condemnation. There it is. Second Corinthians chapter three. Hang on a second, flipping over to two Corinthians chapter three. Okay, here we go. Okay. If you have your Bible, flip on over to Second Corinthians chapter three. Let me begin at verse 4. You ready? Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory." What does Paul say here the ministry of the law is? Answer, it's the ministry of condemnation, and it is the ministry of death. The purpose of the law is to kill you. So no Christian pastor whose worth is salt should ever preach God's law by its own as if that's the solution that God has for humanity. The law isn't the solution 
The law is the thing that shows us the problem. The solution is Christ and him crucified for our sins. The shed blood of our great God and Savior for us on the cross, which makes us clean, washes away our sins. And it is through faith and trust in the gospel and what Christ has done for us that we are declared righteous, not by obeying the law. So now with that in mind, flip on over to uh, Mark chapter 12. And I think he's just going to lift out verse 30. Hang on a second here. Yeah, he he lifts out Jesus' words. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What is that? Answer, nothing but pure, unadulterated law. And not only that, he's not teaching the story in context. But again, if you want to stand up for the preaching of the Word of God in honor of it, you know, feel free. This came about because a religious leader asked Christ, what is the greatest commandment? Because they had over 600 different commandments. You know, the the big 10 commandments, and then they had a lot of other smaller commandments, and then the religious leaders added more to the New Testament because they were very legalistic. And so there were all these rules and laws and regulations And they said, which one's the most important, Jesus? And he said, I can sum up the whole Bible with this. So would you stand in honor of God's word and just read this out loud with me? Okay, I want to point out an error. He just said that Jesus said he can sum up the whole Bible with this. No, the law is not the summary of the whole Bible. The the great commandment is the summary of the Mosaic law. The summary of the Bible is Christ died for our sins. It's the gospel. Oh, yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Okay, now question. Since this is law, okay, keep in mind, you're expected. You, by the way, you can actually be saved by the law but you have to keep it perfectly from the moment you're conceived into the moment you draw your last breath. Just plain and simple. That's all there is to it. If you haven't done that, you're kind of in trouble. So let me, uh, let's, let's go back. Let's read it again. Jesus has now made an appearance in this sermon and Jesus has appeared as the lawgiver. Jesus as new Moses, if you would. And we've lifted this text out of context to focus in on what he said Jesus was supposedly doing, summarizing all of the Bible? No. Jesus was only summarizing the Mosaic Law. This is not a summary of the Bible. But let's see how you're doing. And you shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, now I want you to get out a piece of paper and we're going to do a quick evaluation and here's how it goes. Are you ready? Okay. I want you to think about your life over the past five days. Okay. Reflect on the alls here. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Okay. Okay. Now, if you have fully done this, 
all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You've fully, truly loved God perfectly for the last five days. Give yourself a 100% and an A, okay? If you have sinned even once, then I need you to uh, give yourself an F. So, okay, how'd you do? If you got an A, send me an email, and I will send you a response email that says you are a liar. <laughs> okay, so th- this is um, this this preaching of the law and the way he's doing it. Listen carefully to it. It's going to do nothing but condemn you. But I want you to listen how he waters down this text and how he waters down the law. Listen. Lord, today I pray that you would open our hearts as we study the great commandment. It's amazing how you take the complicated and you make it so simple. So, <clears throat> Any of you find it simple to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength? Is that simple? So that we can understand it because you want us to live it out. And I pray that not only will we open our minds and hearts to understand it, but that we would put it into practice. And you would give us the power to love the people in our lives. And that you would really teach us this art of being all there, which is going to take a lifetime to learn, but it is something that changes everything. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Okay, now watch what he's going to do. This is, I mean, this is easy stuff. You know, it's going to take a lifetime for you to master this, but it can be done. I want you to underline all the alls in that passage. There are four alls in this passage. And it's interesting to me that God wants us to love him with all that we are. Now, we've talked about the fact that God practices the art of being all there for us. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's always all there for you. You can run from him for 30 years, but the moment you turn around, he's right there with open arms to receive you back home. He's never preoccupied. He's never too busy for you. He never looks past you to something or someone more important. He's always all there for you. Maybe no one else in the world knows what you're going through. Maybe no one else in the world really cares what you're going through. But the God who made you cares. He's always all there for you. And in this passage, Jesus says, he wants you to be all there for him. Because that's what love is. Being all there. He didn't say, I I want you to love me with 50% of your heart. And I want you to love me with 72% of your soul. And I want you to love me with one-third of your mind. I want you to love me with half of your strength. No, he said all. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what the law demands of you. All of it. How are you doing? How well have you done it? I want you to love me all out, all. This, this is the law. This is the ministry of condemnation and death. By works of the law, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight. Well, I realize that. I've studied this passage many times. But what I'd never realized until recently, and God really opened my eyes and my heart to this, is that 
there are four areas of our lives that we're to love God with, but there are also these four areas of our lives that we need to love others with to be all there. Being all there involves four areas of our lives. Now, this is weird, okay? These are the four areas that we have to love God and the law is demanding of us, and now he's applying this to... The uh, sorry, the the first commandment is all ver- it's up and down vertical, right? The second commandment is like it: love your neighbor as yourself. But what, watch what he's doing. He's taking the commandment to love your Lord your God with all your heart and applying it to this marriage relationship thing. Now I may be wrong, but that sounds like a misapplication of this verse, if you know what I mean. And if I'm going to be all there for God because He's all there for me, I've got to love Him with. All of those four areas. But how have you done? Have you pulled it off? Are you doing it, Carrie? Are you up to 60%? 61? 42? Where are you at? Remember, all, that's 100%. But if I'm going to be all there for the people closest to me, then I have to also be all there in these four areas of my life. So let's take a look at it um, in that regard. First, being all there involves all my heart. It involves all my heart. Now, what is your heart? Your heart is your affections. Your heart is that deepest part of you. The Greek word for heart here is cardia. It's where we get cardiac from. It means the center or the core of your life, your core values, what you set your affections upon. Now, it's interesting that the Bible teaches you can choose what you allow into your heart. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. It's saying, be careful what you allow into your heart, because whatever you allow into your heart determines where your life goes. Whatever you allow into your heart becomes a magnet that draws you to it. And so you can choose what you set your affections upon. Most people don't understand that because they say things like, well, we just fell in love. Or we just fell out of love. We've lost our loving feelings. As if it's uncontrollable. No, you can fall into infatuation. You can fall into um, just being attracted to someone. You can't help who you're infatuated with. You can't help who you're attracted to. But you choose who you love. You choose who you love. Most people don't know this. They don't understand that. That you get to choose what you allow. Now notice, he's not actually teaching from the text. We're now putting, I don't know... Uh, pop psychology relationship theory and I, I don't know what this is into your heart and when you allow something or someone into your heart it guides you it directs the course of your life and many people allow success to be in their heart and they care more about that than anything else they focus on that they open up their hearts to wanting to be successful to impress people and that's why they skip over the people closest to them to try to impress people that don't even care about them. That's why they aren't really all there for the people closest to them. But when someone they're trying to impress is around and they just turn it on, many times it's the people we love the most that we treat the worst because we've allowed pride and success to come into our hearts. Some people allow material possessions to come into their heart, getting that something new and then the new wears off, and it doesn't fill the God-shaped hole in your heart. You've got to always have something new. You always have to keep up with... Okay, this is preaching against idolatry, which is a valid use of the law. Please tell me we're going to hear the gospel and that Jesus isn't going to just stay as 
the new Moses, the new law, the guy who made Moses easier to understand. The neighbors, you always have to have that a new thing to make you feel good about yourself. And that's because you allow that into your heart, but it will never satisfy. You get to choose what you allow into your heart. Now, the interesting thing is, when you choose to love someone and you allow them into your heart, then it changes your feelings. It's an amazing thing. People say, well, I just fell out of love. Again, this is not found in the Bible. Well, you fall out of love because you choose to fall out of love. It really happens that way. And when you choose to open up your heart, then it changes what you love and who you love, and it changes your whole emotions. In fact, look at this next verse in Luke 12, 34. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the way you choose what's going to be in your heart is what you value. If you value something, you've allowed it into your heart. What you cherish, what you treasure, because wherever your treasure is, there your heart will follow. So whatever I place value on, my heart is going to go to that. Whatever I place value on is what my affections are going to be set upon. Now, it, it sounds to me all of this other psychological stuff that he's bringing in is somehow an attempt to figure it, you know, to, to explain to you how you achieve this all thing. And so God says, I want you to value me with your whole heart. I want you to surrender your whole heart to me. That's why we say you need to pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart. That's what salvation is. The center of your life, the core of your being, that you value him first and foremost, that you surrender your life to him. He comes in and he takes your cold, dead heart and he gives you an awakening of the heart. That's salvation. But when we are to be all there for the people in our lives, we have to give them our heart. We have to let them into our heart. We have to value them. And so the way we do that is first give undivided attention. If you want to place value on someone, then you give them undivided attention. And we rarely do that today because we're so distracted. But when you give someone undivided attention, you look into their eyes and you get face to face with them. Then you place value on them. You're allowing them into your heart. You're being all there. Undivided attention. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this this basic relationship 101 stuff? And that's why we're saying once a week do a Facebook fast, not because we're bashing Facebook. We love Facebook and all those other things. We use them all the time here at our church. But we're saying cut out technology for one day a week. Tune it out so you can tune in to the people. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You said all there. Now you only want me to be be all there once a week? People closest to you and do some old-fashioned things that you need to do to be all there. And when you give undivided attention, it is so rare, it stands out. And then the second thing is give constant appreciation. The word appreciation simply means to raise in value. Did you know you can raise someone's value and it raises your own value by just appreciating them, thanking them, constantly doing things that show them that you cherish them, that you treasure them. And in a marriage relationship... If you don't want to lose the loving feelings, then you have to set your heart upon your mate. and you do. Again, I can get this from Oprah and Dr. Phil, but I can't get Christ and him crucified for my sins except for at church. Do that by giving them undivided attention and by giving them constant appreciation. Because when you cut down your spouse, by the way, it takes a little man to belittle their wife. When you cut down your spouse, you're cutting yourself down. You're devaluing yourself. Every time you criticize that person close to you and you cut them down with those deep cuts, you're basically cutting yourself down. 
Because when you raise their value, it raises your value. And so as you raise their value with appreciation, you give them your heart. And it changes the loving feelings. If you lost loving feelings, what you need to do is give undivided attention like you did when you were first dating. And then you need to also give constant appreciation over and over and over and over again. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, it's not about your feelings. It's a choice. And feelings follow. Whatever you place value on, your feelings will be like a magnet to follow it. It's an amazing truth, and most people don't get it. That's why all the Hollywood couples break up. And they say, well, we just fell out of love. You're going to. You're going to fall out of infatuation until you do those things you did when you first fell in love, and that's how you fall back in love again. But then he also said, give all my soul. I'm to give all my heart and all my soul. Now, soul is your emotions. That's the Greek word for soul is suke, and we pronounce it. Again, notice that this is the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and he's applying this to... Psyche to human relationships, giving marital advice from the first commandment. But it's suke, and it literally means emotions, feelings, attitudes, and will. Did you know um, it's the prefix, of course, for, for psychology? And so, psychology at the root is really the study of the soul. But the Bible uses that word to describe our emotions, our feelings, our attitudes, our will. So, again, we get to choose so the feelings follow. So, how do I? give God all my emotions, then I show him how much I love him. There's times to get emotional about God and, and to show him how much you love him. We go to a ball game and everybody gets so excited and fired up and crazy, you know, and then we um, go to Bonnaroo and everybody's crazy, going nuts, so excited. And, and then sometimes we come to church and it's like, ugh, you know. I'm glad it's not that way here. I'm glad it's not that way here. What are you talking about? I am sure that most of the men sitting in that auditorium are getting sitting there going, <laughs> because we want to show God our emotions. We want to worship him in that way. But also you show him your emotions by revealing your emotions. When you're angry at him, when you're frustrated, when you're mad, God wants you to tell him everything. Sometimes we think God will strike us dead if we tell him that we're mad at him. No, he knows. And he loves you. And the Bible says, pour your heart out to him. Whatever you're feeling, God I'm upset, I'm frustrated. He, he wants you just to come to him and pour your heart out to him. That's how you give him all your emotions. And that's how you connect to the people in your life as well. Being all there. All right, all right, let me try this. God, I'm upset and I'm angry because, well, I'm hearing a sermon that isn't really preaching your word correctly, is only giving me the law, and is not giving me Christ and him crucified for my sins. I pray for Carrie Shook that you would open his eyes and that you would bring him to repentance. Thank you, God. I'm sorry that I don't understand my emotions. Amen. It means that you don't be afraid to express your emotions. Don't be afraid to, to express your emotions. If, if two people are really best friends, then they'll express when they're angry with each other. They'll express when they're frustrated. They'll express when they're feeling insecure or hurt because you're going to be you. But if you hold that back, then you're really not best friends. You're really not dear friends because you reveal your emotions when you're being all there. And then don't run from your emotions. Early on in our marriage, whenever Chris would bring up a tough issue, I would run. Again, where is this part about don't run from your emotions in the commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all... (sighs) Run. Because I didn't know how to handle her emotions. And many times she would keep trying to push my buttons because... She wanted me to get 
emotional, to reveal what I was feeling because she wanted to be connected to me. She wanted me to be all there for her. And now we've learned over the years to stay at the table and work through the conflict. And we argue. Hooray! What does this have to do with the commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart? And we get frustrated at each other, but we've learned to fight fair. We don't raise our voices. We don't call names. Uh, All those things are below the belt, and so we don't do that. We stay, and it's frustrating. It's messy. It doesn't look pretty, but we stay at the table, and we work through it, and we work through it, and we work through it until we come to a reconciliation. Sometimes we don't always agree, but we always arrive at intimacy. That's where we can share our true feelings and our insecurities and our hurts and our fears. That's Carrie. Nothing personal. It's just, you know, um, just not that interested in uh, all of the details about how you and your wife fight and make up and all that kind of stuff. I, 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 you know, people coming to church, they're here to really learn what God's word says. They need to hear the full counsel of the word of God from you. And you've ripped two verses out of context. It's all law. And you're taking the first commandment, which is about loving the Lord, your God with all of your heart. And you're talking, you're using that to springboard into your marriage relationship and how you guys fight and make up not seeing the connection here years and our anger and frustrations and we love each other just the same that's intimacy that's the only way you get there but you gotta stay at the table it was so easy for me that when things would get tough and emotional i just leave the table and go okay forget it then and go turn on a ball game or go do something else go jogging and just leave chris there But I've learned it to be all there. I've got to be all there with my emotions, even though it's hard for me to express them and reveal them. And you stay at the table and you work through it because if you go to bed angry, anger changes in the night. Yeah, my grandpa told me this. Uh, Again, I don't need a crucified and risen Savior for this, and this has nothing to do with loving the Lord your God with all your heart chemical reaction that takes place and it turns to bitterness and bitterness can kill any relationship and so it's okay to have anger as long as you process it and get it out right and you work through it but then don't rely on emotions a lot of people are always waiting for a feeling to come over them before they do anything they want if they don't feel like going to church they don't go to church if they feel like it every once in a while they'll go to church if they feel like reading their bible they'll read their bible If they don't feel like it then they don't and if you wait till you feel like loving god you won't love him very often. You choose to love. Oh, it's oh, that's the simple. Yeah, you want to obey this commandment? Just choose to love God. L- let me know how that works out for you. Love him, and then the feelings come along, and it's the same way with the people in our lives. Being all there means I don't rely on my emotions. I do the loving actions. I do the loving things, and then the emotions can follow. <laughs> Okay, that was the end of part one of the art of being all there. I, I can't I can't do part two. I, I can't do it. I just no, no, I've got to go wash this pink stuff off of my hands. Good night. Jesus the new lawgiver, and um and apparently um Jesus was just explaining how, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself is the summary of the whole Bible. No, it's not, it's the summary of the whole law. And uh, that doesn't help me much because that just condemned me really badly. And if you're honest, it condemned you as well. Yeah, I need Jesus 
the crucified Savior, the one who bled and died for me because I haven't loved God with all of my heart. I haven't loved God with all of my soul. I haven't loved God with all of my mind. And I haven't loved God with all of my strength. And that's just since I started reviewing the sermon. Compound this over a lifetime, and we're talking a load of sin that I am weighted down with through the preaching of this law. I need the Savior who bled for me, not the Savior who condemned me by saying, love me with all your heart when he knows I doesn't. I don't. And neither do you. The gospel is this. Christ died for our sins. And it's a sin when you don't love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Christ died for all of our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures. And it was all for you. And it was for me. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. As Daniel Needs wrote in the article I read earlier, Discernment is all about Christ, lest we forget, lest we drift away. And unfortunately, there are pastors who believe Orthodox Christian statements. <clears throat> I'm sure Kerry Shook, if I asked him, if he believed that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, he'd say yes. That he was raised again bodily on the third day, he'd say yes. But he's not preaching the crucified and risen Savior. He's preaching Jesus, the lawgiver, who came to teach us the art of being all there. But the scripture says nothing of the sort. And he doesn't even understand the purpose of the law and understand how it condemns him and condemns all of his listeners. And the solution is not to try harder and apply yourself and just choose to do it. The solution is to repent and be forgiven. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. You can partner with us financially. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount, you can do so by clicking on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what would you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Well, actually, not tomorrow. Monday. Amen. Amen.